I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing on in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, it's page 811. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be focusing in this morning uh, in verses 5 through 18. 5 through 18. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read together Matthew chapter 6. Beginning with verse 5, Jesus is still speaking and he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by our Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Jesus is continuing on in his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. As we dive into the text this morning, we see his continuation of his teaching, specifically when it comes to prayer and fasting. Just to kind of recap from last week and bring us up to speed, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus gives instruction to those that were listening, both his disciples and the crowds that would be listening and following him. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus is giving instruction about practicing righteousness, about living in accordance with God's word and living in a way that is acceptable to God, living in a right way before God. And he gives warning here. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness, of seeking to live out your faith, of doing the things that are acceptable in the sight of God. Beware of doing that, not for the acceptance in the eyes of God, but rather in the presence or acceptance of men. He's warning them. As we mentioned last week, he's going to warn them in three areas uh, through verses 1 through 18. And that's the areas of their giving, the areas of their praying, and in the area of fasting. Last week we looked at this area of giving where Jesus makes very clear the standard that he has and that God has when it comes to our giving is that we would be giving for the glory of God, for the eyes of the Lord, and not for the eyes of men, not to be seen by men, not to make our name great or our reputation great, but rather for his name and for his greatness and for his glory. Well, he continues this same line of thinking and this same line of instruction now 
in the verses before us this morning as he transitions from the area of giving unto the Lord to now in the area of praying to the Lord. And so it's important as we start in this passage and we look at the verses before us that we understand contextually it's still in the same line of speaking and thinking that Christ started chapter 6 with when we are practicing our righteousness that we're to do it for the eyes of the Lord and not the eyes of men. In seeking to live rightly, one of the areas that should mark our lives is in the area of giving, meeting the needs of others, those that have need. And it continues on now in the area of prayer. It's a given in the life of the believer that prayer should be happening, that prayer should be a part of our daily lives. And he says, when you pray, this is how you ought to pray. And we'll get there in just a moment. There's a lot of different thoughts and questions that come into play when we think about prayer. Uh, There's a lot of confusion when it comes to prayer in many people's minds and understanding what exactly does prayer accomplish, what exactly does prayer do. And you have extremes on both sides. Some people believe that when you pray, that as you pray and you petition the Lord, that there's authority or power in the prayers of God's people that we can change the mind of God or change the heart of God or sway God or that we can make God do something that God otherwise wasn't thinking about doing. That's one extreme when it comes to prayer. There's another extreme in prayer that is, that is just, well, really prayer accomplishes nothing because God already has determined and predetermined what exactly he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And whether you pray or not, it doesn't have any bearing on what God is going to do. And, and how those two extremes come into play, you can see support from, from the Bible, from Scripture, or how people can look at different passages and say, well, clearly because the Bible says this, or clearly because the Bible says this. And what I want to stand before you today and tell you is that I cannot clearly comprehend or understand exactly all that prayer does. But what I do know is truth in God's Word is that we as followers of Christ, regardless of where you land on that, you and I are called to pray. We're called to pray unceasingly at all times. We're called to have a lifestyle of prayer. That our communion with God and our communication with God, our relationship with God should be one that is marked by prayer. And and whatever your thinking is in regards to what a prayer accomplishes, what prayer does or what prayer cannot do and how it sways or moves God or how it confirms what God is going to do, you and I are believers in Christ. We are called to pray. We are to be praying people. Jesus modeled this in his life, taking time to pray to the Father. The the apostles modeled this in their life in constant prayer before the Lord. And here Jesus is calling on those that would follow him, that would believe in him, that would say that they belong to God to have their lives marked by prayer. It's not a question, should we be praying? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Prayer is to mark our lives as believers in Christ. It's a matter of obedience It's a matter of confirmation before the Lord of our faith and trust in him. We'll see in a moment. And it's also a matter of our dependence upon God that we'll see also this morning. We should be praying people. And so even as we begin this morning and we move into this area of prayer and fasting as our lives as we seek to live rightly in an acceptable and pleasing way to God, I would ask as we very much begin this message, how is your prayer life with the Lord? What does that look like? Would it be clear that based upon the amount of time and effort and devotion that you have to the Lord in prayer, that you value prayer? That you value prayer before the Lord. 
Well, as we look at the passage this morning, I just want to point out several truths in regards to prayer and then also in regards to fasting. And so uh, let's begin first by acknowledging that prayer is to be about the Lord and his glory and not about ourselves. Much like Jesus' statement earlier in chapter 6, verse 1, about practicing our righteousness for the eyes of the Lord and not the eyes of sinful men, uh, the same as we looked at verses 2 through verse 4, that when we are giving, our giving is not to be in a way that we're sounding a trumpet for everybody to acknowledge the good deed that we are doing, but rather it's for the eyes of the Lord. The same can be said about prayer. Prayer is to be about the Lord and His glory And not about ourselves. Look at verses 5 through 8 again. Jesus says, and when you pray. So again, this would be something that it was uh, given. This was a, a characteristic or something that was true of the one that follows and knows God and believes in him. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And it's hypocrisy to take stature or a position or acknowledgement of prayer, which prayer to God shows dependence on the Lord and acknowledges his greatness and his power and makes it about him and not ourselves. It's hypocrisy to say we are praying and while we are praying, desire to make much of ourselves. That's hypocrisy. The word that's used there for this area of hypocrisy, it holds with it the understanding what a hypocrite is, is an actor under an assumed character or a staged player is that word that's used here for do not be like the hypocrites, actors or staged players. I had mentioned last week that when I was in high school, uh, there was a young lady, Shoshana, that took my uh, notice. And, and so I would regularly, I mentioned last week, try to do things to get her attention Uh, to try to catch her eye, you know, whether it was like holding babies or, you know, sweeping the floor. I wanted her to know I'm a good guy, and and I'd try to get her attention. Well, when I was uh, in school, sophomore in high school, um, we had a play at our school, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And Shoshana was trying out for the play, so I was trying out for the play. And uh, I knew that if I, if I got in the play and she got in the play, that means that we're going to spend a lot of time after school and practices together. Uh, I was particularly interested in this play because Tom Sawyer, uh, and there was a character, Becky Thatcher, in it. And there was a, a scene in the play where they had the kiss. And uh, I was all about being Tom Sawyer for that play, okay? And so anyhow, we, we had this play, and, and we were both in this play, and in, in the role that we played in this play, we were casting this role, we had to get into character for this, this play. Now, when it came to the kissing scene, I was hoping like that wasn't like a facade. I was hoping that was like genuine, you know, the, the still time that was there. But we had to get into character, and as someone who was in this play that was set back in time, our dress that we wore, like we had to wear, I had to wear knickers, like where, like, you know, the knickers are the ones that go just below your, your knees here, and they're kind of baggy, and I wore a vest and a, a dress shirt underneath, and I had one of those, those hats, the like floppy hats that you would wear, and uh, we had to get like makeup on, and we had to kind of talk with like a little bit of a different tone and accent and how we would talk to try to sound like it was like set back in time and we use different words like purdy and and um you know reckon I reckon like it would be things like that because we were getting into character so from the things that we wore to the words that we spoke to the way that we went about doing things the tone in our voice and how we talked all of it was to play a role was to play a character 
You know how weird that would be if when the play wasn't going on, I'm sitting in class and I was still talking like that and dressing. Like if I showed up to school one day dressed like that, I'd be destroyed by people. Because I was playing a role, right? I was, I was playing a role. That's the word that's used here for don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like a, a, an actor who is under an assumed character. Don't be like a stage player. Don't be presenting yourself as though you are actually something when that's not who you truly are. That's what a hypocrite does. And what Jesus is saying in this passage, he, he describes, he says, you, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. He says they love to take this posture in prayer that, that here I am and I'm praying to God and I want everybody to see and know that here I am praying to God and what they're demonstrating on the outside is this trust and dependence and acknowledgement of the authority and power and greatness of God. But what is truly within and, and the desire that is truly in their hearts is something far from that. And he says, don't be like them. Don't be like an, an actor that's playing a role, a staged actor that is playing some role when you pray. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others, Jesus says. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, in contrast to when the hypocrite prays, to be seen by others and to be acknowledged by others and to pronounce their, their greatness in prayer, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer is to be about the Lord. It's to be about his glory and not about ourselves. Not to be seen by others. Look at verse 7 and 8 as he goes on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, don't be like them. They do this to be seen by others. They do and heap up empty phrases, meaningless phrases, and they think because of their many words they'll be heard. Again, there's an exaltation of self in the example of the hypocrite when it comes to prayer. They think by their many words they will be heard. In other words, that by how God is going to be just absolutely astonished by how incredible you are when you pray that way. Do you know how ridiculous that is? you know how crazy that is? That we could ever think that the God of the universe is going to just be in prayer. God, you're really going to be impressed by what I'm going to lay out before you today and how good it is. What hypocrisy is there because it makes so much of the individual that is praying rather than the one that is being prayed to. And Jesus is warning them in this not to be like them, not to be seen by others, not to make much of ourselves, but prayer is to be about the Lord and his glory and not ourselves. Now here is something that's very encouraging here. I, I don't know if you've ever felt when it comes to prayer that you've ever felt like, man, I wish I could pray, but I don't even know what to pray. Or if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, I, I just, I, I can't pray. Elo Some people can just pray so eloquently. 
They know just the words to pray. They know just how to pray. They know just what to say. You ever feel inadequate in prayer? What a great position to be in. Because Jesus even says in the passage, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's between you and God. And he already knows what's on our hearts and on our minds. So much so that if you don't feel like it came out right, God is a pretty good discerner of the thoughts of man. He got it. He understands it. He knows what's in the heart. Beyond what just the words are, he knows what's in the heart. But even at the end of verse 8, Jesus said, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Can I encourage you with something today? That God, our Father, if you're a child of God, our Father, he knows you so well and cares for you so well that even before you ask, he knows exactly what you need. Isn't there comfort in that? incredible encouragement in that your father knows what you need even before you ask him when we don't know what to say our God already knows I want you to see this passage in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus shares a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector and tax collectors were known to be the the worst of the worst during the the day in which Jesus was ministering on earth and Pharisees were known to be the the religious of the religious set apart for God Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the context of what Jesus is about to share is in the context of those that were hypocrites. That they thought much of themselves, that they were righteous, and they basically looked down on everybody else. He's talking about the Pharisees, and then he's talking about the tax collectors who, who were known as just the worst in the minds of the Jews that were collecting taxes from their own people at the bidding of the Roman government. He says this, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was his prayer. I tell you, this man, Jesus said, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What an example that Jesus lays out here. Prayer is to be about the Lord and his glory and not about our And sometimes we can fall into the dangerous trap of making much of ourselves in prayer or making prayer all about us rather than about the glory of God. Secondly, I I believe we see then as Jesus makes this transition, he says, verse 9, pray then like this, that prayer is to be seeking out and desiring God's will to be done and not our own. Prayer is seeking out and desiring God's will to be done and not our own. And this is, this is hard sometimes. Look at the verse, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's an acknowledgement here. Prayers to be seeking out and desiring God's will to be done, not our own. As Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That statement of hallowed be your name, it means let your name be kept 
holy. Let it be treated with reverence. Let it be continually treated with reverence and holiness. God, you are God. You are our Father in heaven. There's an acknowledgement here. There's an acknowledgement of the authority and power of our God. There's an acknowledgement here that he is our Father. We are his children. There's an acknowledgement here that God is the one that calls the shots, that God is the one that is sovereignly in control of all things. And there's an acknowledgement here of what God wants, what God desires, what God wills is of far greater weight and value than what we want, what we desire, or what we would will. This acknowledgement right at the get-go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just as in heaven, everything is done exactly, God, as you bid it to be done, as you will it to be done, so might that be true of every activity, everything that happens on this earth. May it be for your glory according to your will. Let it be done here. And sometimes that's a hard thing for us to acknowledge. Sometimes it's a difficult thing for us to acknowledge, recognize, but to desire in our prayer. Because sometimes we know what the will of God is, but we don't like it, right? Sometimes we acknowledge and know what God's desire and will, what God's word even says. And yet in our prayer, we kind of are like, man, I hope there's some kind of loophole here to this. I, I hope that God would maybe just listen and maybe be like, okay, just this one time. What are we doing when we do that? We're, we're acknowledging a greater desire for what we want than what God wants, what we would will than what God would will. And there's a sense of acknowledgement of God's authority in this as we seek out and desire his will to be done and not our own because every single one of us here have what we would want, what we would desire, what we would will to be done. And if we're honest as individuals that are in need of grace and forgiveness, as individuals that sin and fall short of the glory of God, there are times that what we want, desire, and will is not what God wants, desires, and wills. Who wins in that case? Who do we want to win out in that case? It must be the Lord because what he says goes. What he wants should happen. I remember when I was in school, I worked for a little bit at a diner where I was in the back and I was a cook. And uh, when I was in high school and we used to make different sub sandwiches. It's Lock, Stock and Barrel, Sharpsville, PA. If you want a great sub, go there. I've advertised for them before. I get no royalties. But if you go and you want a great like sandwich, Lock, Stock and Barrel. Okay, number 39, turkey, ham, provolone cheese. It's excellent. They have something called the Italian nightmare. It's like two pounds of, of, of meat. I've never, I've never ordered the full sub, but people post pictures of it when they get it on social media. It's that kind of sub, two pounds of meat. It has like capicola and salami and pepperoni. It's just, it's a, it's good, okay? But if you go to Lock, Stock, and Barrel, tell them Bruce sent you. They're not going to do anything. They won't even know who I am, but just tell them. But... When I worked in high school at this diner and I would make sandwiches in the back, there was a sandwich that people would order, a number 24, and it was a steak sandwich with cheese that you made on the grill. And uh, it, was, it was a sandwich that when you made it, it took a little bit of time to make it, but whenever I made it, and I, I'd always get hungry for it when I would make it, and I'd think, man, this looks so good. And it had peppers and onions and cheese and the steak and it just smelled good looked good you put it on like a toasted but it was just incredible and so when people would order a, a number 24 and they would say these words I would be devastated they're like yeah number 24 no cheese no peppers no onions and I'd be like what are you doing like I'm I'm 
I'm making the sandwich and I'm tempted to be like, you're getting peppers, you're getting onions, you're getting cheese because you're not doing this, this sandwich justice. But let me tell you something. If I did that when customers ordered a sandwich and I made it the way I wanted it instead of what they paid for, guess what they'd be doing with that sandwich? They'd be sending it back and I'd have to make it again. And I could have just acknowledged what they wanted the first time and, and, and been done with it then. And listen, I share that because sometimes I think we have that same attitude and perspective when it comes to our prayers to God and it comes to our will versus his will being done. When it comes to what we want versus what God says, there's too many times that we find ourselves going before the Lord and petitioning God in ways that we know that's not what he wants, what he desires or what he wills. And sometimes we even take actions to do it anyhow. And God brings us back to correct us, to set us straight, to acknowledge, no, he... His will must win and work because he is God and I am not. He has the authority and power to call the shots. We don't. We don't. You've been bought at a price, the price of the blood of Christ. As a child of God, you belong to him. You acknowledge him as the authority, power, and the one who has all authority and power in your life and my life. And so when it comes to the area of prayer with that in mind, we should be seeking out and desiring God's will to be done and not our own. That's what God desires. When you pray, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now he'll go on, verses 11 through 15. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Number three, prayer is acknowledgement of and demonstration of our dependence on the Lord. Prayer is acknowledgement of and demonstration of our dependence on the Lord. We've already acknowledged the fact that he is God and we are not. That he is the authority and we are not. That he is the one that, uh, is the one that declares what his will is and what should be done. And it's not us declaring that. God is. But it's also an acknowledgement and demonstration of our dependence on him. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. All that we have, all that we receive, all that we need comes from the Lord. There's an acknowledgement of dependence on the Lord for our daily provisions. There's an acknowledgement of dependence upon the Lord for forgiveness of our sins. There's an acknowledgement of our dependence on the Lord as it comes to our interpersonal relationships with one another. That as God has forgiven us, so are we called to forgive others. It can be confusing when you read this text when Jesus said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our, our forgiveness is not based upon works that we do. But if you have truly been forgiven by God, one of the marks of your life as one who has been forgiven will be forgiveness on your part of others that have sinned against you as well. Jesus is speaking about the, the character and the mark of the believer, not only in prayer, but in our forgiveness. But there's this acknowledgement of dependence and demonstration of our dependence on the Lord. We go to the Lord daily. Can I just ask you a question? Is it true of your life that daily, daily in prayer, there's an acknowledgement on our part of our dependence on the Lord daily for all of our needs? Daily. 
That there is an uh, acknowledgement of our dependence on the Lord because he's the only one that can offer what we need. Not only in our daily provisions, our daily bread, he says. Bread for today, bread for tomorrow. But even when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins, forgive us our debts. Do you recognize today that the only one who can forgive sins is God alone? And the only means of forgiveness of sins is through his son, Jesus Christ. Prayer acknowledges that. If you're here today, you need to hear that. That's the truth you need to hear today. That the word of God says that the only one who can forgive sins is God alone. And guess what? The Bible says every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God where there is punishment for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Because we are separated from God because of our sin. And everyone has sinned. There's an acknowledgement that must take place that sins need to be forgiven, that God alone can forgive sins. And the way that God forgives sins is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's it. First John, John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's found in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be forgiven of our sins. We can be saved. But in prayer, and even as seen here, when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then there's also an acknowledgement Independence on the Lord when it comes to our enemies. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations said from the evil one. The reality is there's spiritual attack daily happening all around us. There's a heavenly spiritual battle going on day in and day night because we have an enemy. And Jesus is even showing the believer here that we are absolutely dependent upon the Lord for deliverance from temptation and sin, for safety and protection from our enemy. We have an adversary. And in prayer, we acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, even as we fight off our adversary, the devil. Number four, prayer is a time of exaltation and adoration, as well as a time of supplication and confession. As you look at this passage, it is filled with exaltation of the Lord, adoration for the Lord, but also supplication and confession. It is good to confess our sins to God. It is healthy to confess our sins to God. It is healthy to acknowledge who God is, his holiness, our dependence on him, his greatness, that we are depending upon him, but it is also good for us to let our requests be known unto God. And when we do that, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. There's acknowledgement of the need for forgiveness. There's acknowledgement for the provision coming from God. There's acknowledgement of his holiness, but there's also an asking here. That the Lord would supply those needs. That the Lord would deliver from temptation and evil. It is okay to ask of God, our Heavenly Father, knowing He hears us. And number five, as we move to verses 16 to 18 quickly, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. First, fasting is normal and acceptable in the life of the believer. Jesus said, when you fast. Now, of these three that Jesus mentions when it comes to giving, when it comes to praying, when it comes to fasting, fasting is the one that is not commanded of the believer in the New Testament. You're not commanded 
to fast, and yet it seemed to be not only an acceptable practice, a regular practice in the life of the believer, but it was one that God was pleased with. He says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. When you fast, anoint your head with oil, verse 17, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. This is an acceptable and common practice in the life of the believer in Christ. Again, nowhere commanded in the New Testament. But so often fasting was associated with focused prayer, sometimes in mourning, sometimes in decision-making, seeking discernment and wisdom from God in dedication to the Lord. Prayer and fasting seem to go hand in hand in many instances in the life of Christ, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the life of those that called upon God and believed in God. And it's that which is acceptable practice before the Lord. And number six, fasting is to be done for the eyes of the Lord only. Just as God has previously mentioned when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our praying, so is true when it comes to our fasting, that would be for the eyes of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, not to be seen by men, but as an act of worship and dependence and commitment unto the Lord and not unto others. See, Jesus incorporates all of these three, prayer, fasting, giving as that living out righteously in an acceptable way unto God for the eyes of the Lord and for the glory of the Lord and not for ourselves. I wonder, how are we doing in those areas? How are we doing in those areas of our lives? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment as we conclude the service this morning. And I just want to challenge you. Maybe over these last couple weeks, you've been challenged, I hope you have, by giving for the eyes of the Lord, praying for the eyes of the Lord, fasting for the eyes of the Lord. And maybe you acknowledge this morning as a believer in Christ, that has not always been the case. There have been plenty of times when it comes to our living rightly before the Lord, it was for the eyes or approval of men rather than the approval and glory of God. And maybe even this morning you've acknowledged in your prayer that your prayer oftentimes isn't, God, let your will be done, but God, please hear me and let my will be done. Maybe that's you this morning. If you're here this morning and you would just say, hey, I, I need prayer. I need prayer to, to give, to pray, to serve, to fast, not for the eyes of men, but for the glory of God. I want to be dependent on the Lord. I want his will to be done, his glory to be seen and not myself. And I really struggle with that. I need help with that. Would you lift your hand right now? I want to pray for you as we close. Yeah, amen. Good. Yeah, appreciate your hands up. Thanks. Yeah, that, that God would use us for his glory. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those that uh, raise their hands today that need help in this area. We, we all, Lord, can be guilty sometimes of making much of ourselves rather than much of you. I pray even as Jesus would, would teach that we would not do things for the applause of men but for the glory of our God. When it comes to the area of prayer and fasting, when it comes to the area of giving, Lord, when it comes to these areas of living rightly in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to you, might we be about your glory in all these areas. Please give us the strength to be about your glory, Lord, and not ourselves, because you're deserving of it. We thank you for what Christ has done, for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus, that we can know you as our heavenly Father, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.